This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the spooky edition of Walk and Roll Live. I am your host, Count Eric Aguilar, with my minion. Dr. Vaughn, Doug. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so you ready for Halloween? Yes, sir. I'm ready. So the, the, you sent me some pictures and I put them up on the website uh, of your costumes with Amanda. Was that last year's? Oh, yes. Last Halloween, we were Jack and Sally. Yeah. This year, we're going to be Harley Quinn and the Joker. All right. So we'll put up some new ones from this year. So. Uh, do you go out and go trick-or-treating around the neighborhood? Amanda wanted to go out uh, trick-or-treating, but my mother let me says, can't you all to trick-or-treat now? And I yeah. said, hey! Some people still trick-or-treat at that age. Yeah, you know, I I, I really have no problem with older kids coming in, and, you know, you're quite a bit older, <laughs> but but I have no tr- trouble <laughs> as long as you go through the effort of, of making a costume. You know, the only thing I, I don't like is when kids just you know, come to your door in whatever they were wearing that day. You know, come on. You know, I don't mind, you know, if you're trick-or-treating, but just have the decency to come up with a costume and and come to my door. You know, that's all I care about. So, you know, but I, of course, my heart goes out to the little ones. I think the littler they are, you know, the little two or three-year-olds that could barely get up to the door, you know, and their moms and dads are kind of hanging in the back, letting them go to the door and, and watching. Oh, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Oh, yes. I'm really looking forward to tonight, Doug. Uh, we're going to be passing out uh, candy to all the trick-or-treaters, and we're going to order uh, pizza, you know, to put icing on the cake. It's going to be a lot, loads of fun. Well, I may be coming by your house. <laughs> that sounds good. For the candy or for, uh, for the candy or the pizza? Oh, man, that's a toss-up. That's a toss-up. I think, <laughs> I, I think the, the, uh, the, the, the candy will, will get me there, and the pizza will make me stay. <laughs> So, how was your week? You have a good week. Oh yes, got a got got a good exercise, good ex- workout in. Got some stuff done over the weekend. I'm happy with the results of my workouts because I feel like I'm getting physically stronger all over again. Yeah. Because I've been back and forth with my my athletics and asking myself for weeks now, is it time for me to run off into the sunset? Do I still have one left in me? Well, we won't know. <laughs> we won't know. Well, you let us know. You keep us posted. I, I had to go back this past week. I had to go back. I think I told you last week we went to LAX to drop my friends off. And, you know, so this was a Wednesday night and they were coming in from back east and their flight was originally supposed to arrive around 745. Well, he kept updating me. He's like, it's been delayed. It's been delayed. It's been delayed. So it got to the point where it wasn't going to get there until like 1030, 1045. So I didn't even have to leave here until... 8 30 or something so it's just like i mean this is this is quintessential la right so i i look at that on my maps on my phone and it's like an hour and 20 minute drive great and i'm thinking wednesday night at 10 o'clock who's going to be at the airport so if you're familiar with with getting to lax from here you go in on the 105 you get off there's an off-ramp just before you get to the airport and at the end of that off-ramp, you take a right and you go under a tunnel, which is going under the, the runway, right? And then it takes you into LAX. 
I get to that off-ramp, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to, you know, go park somewhere and kill some time because it's it's 10 o'clock. You know, I still have 45 minutes, and I'm that close. It took me an hour to go that last. I mean, it couldn't have been more than a half mile, tops a mile, tops a mile to go that last. You know, and you know, talk about stop and go. It was stop. Stop, 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 go, stop, 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 stop. Oh, my goodness, just creeping along. And to the point where, you know, he's telling me, we just landed. Well, you know, I was still a half, uh, half hour away. You know, so we got him, got him picked up and got out of there. So, yeah, LAX Wednesday night, 1045, busy. So, got that going for us. But, you know, it was fine. They were very appreciative, and I, I was glad to do it, you know. Uh, I, I I've been looking, you know, these are, these are things that go on in my life. Uh, house cleaner. I've been looking for a house cleaner for the longest time. I, I found some good ones and then they move out of the area and I found somebody a year or so ago and they seem like they've did a good job. And then, you know, in the Ooh. few days after they left, as I'm looking around, I'm like, wow, they didn't dust that. And that's like right out in the open, obvious. Yeah. So good in quarters. So I couldn't go back to them. So finally I found somebody. She did a great job. Yeah, I'm still I'm still finding places that she cleaned that are, you know, kind of like out of the way. It's like, wow, she did that? Okay, good. And then uh, also uh, Anthesis uh, had a, a dance, a Halloween dance for all the participants. They haven't gotten together like that since before COVID. So they were thrilled. So we had a Halloween dance. They all dressed up in costumes. And man, they go all out. There was some great costumes. I had a spaghetti feed. Yeah, it was a fun night. But uh, then I find out this was Friday night. Then I find out Monday that our our CEO of Anthesis was there. She's great, Sean. And we're gonna have her on here at some point. Uh, but she puts out an email on Monday saying she's come down with COVID. So I, you know, I I don't know. If it was somebody at the dance, if she already had it before, but at any rate, I, I was exposed to her. So, um, I started yesterday to feel like I have a little, like right now I have just a touch of a runny nose, but the wind has been blowing like crazy here. The wind blowing at your house, Eric. Oh yes. I know exactly what you mean. It's been windy here for the past few days. Yeah. Like there's not a moral so just... because of the wind or whatever it may be. I have like a combination and a small cough and maybe a stuffy nose here and there, but yeah, yeah. That's so, the way after a couple hours in the morning. Yeah. So I, I hope it's just that when we say windy, there's this, uh, this tunnel of wind that comes down from the pass of, of, of 15. And there's just this kind of a ton tunnel of wind that comes through here from time to time. And I'm, and I'm talking back, back years ago, it was like 70 miles an hour. It was hurricane, hurricane force winds. And, but now it seems to have slowed down. I think this is just my own speculation, but I, I think it's because they built so much up the hill above us that I think that slowly kind of slowed it down a little bit. So, yeah, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. But still, yeah, I think that's what's kind of kicking up my sinuses. All right. Well, Mr. Halloween <laughs> Man, we've uh, we've got Kathy Grinnan. She's an old friend of mine. Uh, worked with her on, on many different uh, organizations and events. So, I wanted to have her back on and tell her story. She's got a very compelling story of her daughter and a son that had a heart defect. And, and we'll, we'll hear that whole journey 
uh, coming up next as we come to you from the Aguilar Professional Training Studio here on Walk and Roll Live. We'll be right back, folks. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics, to name just a few. Using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training, and management of human capital. Learn more at agarprofessionaltraining.com. A-G-U-I-A-R professionaltraining.com. Welcome to Walk and Roll Live. I am Doug Vincent and my friend Eric Aguilar here with us too. Happy Halloween, buddy. Good morning, folks. Happy Halloween. Very nice. And uh, today's guest is Kathy Grennan. I've known her for so long and I, I don't even know where to start. I know we we uh, got involved when you were with the Heart Association here in the Inland Empire of Southern California and you were doing uh, a big walk uh, that uh, I got involved with. I uh, did that for a few years. And then I know you've, you've worked for a number of, of different nonprofits uh, in different areas and moved to North Carolina. So we'll hear about that a little bit later and, and catch up okay. on, on what you're doing now. But, uh, you know, when I, when I met Kathy, uh, she has an extraordinary story and that story had was deep into it. By the time I met you, I know you had had uh, a CBS special on your daughter at the time. Um, and so, so let's kind of back up and, and, uh, talk a little bit uh, about that. How did that all start? I know you had one child that, that, um, had a, have a rare heart disease, right? Uh, yes. A child in 1985 that had a congenital heart defect, what we call a CHD. Okay. Um, and he, he passed away at two days old. So, um, you know, that was devastating enough. And then, um, you know, fast forward, it was 13 years later when I was pregnant with my um, daughter, Hannah, and she was also diagnosed with um, a CHD, which was the same one that her brother died of. So that's a really rare um, thing to happen, number one. But in the congenital heart defect world, her heart defect and my son's heart defect were extremely rare. They were about one in 10,000 births. And, um, and it's a condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And what that means is that, um, the left side of the heart, um, is not developed. It doesn't mean it's underdeveloped. It means it will never develop. So, um, the left side of the heart is the primary, um, side that pumps oxygenated blood to the body. And the right side of your heart pumps it the blood to your lungs so you can't live with just the right side you have to have both the left and the right side and each side has two chambers so when we talk about a four chamber heart she really had two chambers and they were very small so um, when she was diagnosed while i was pregnant we we already knew that 
Um, she was either going to not survive her birth or survive her birth and and need a heart transplant as soon as she was as soon as the heart became available. So um, that's what you know. That's how we uh, actually got out to California, Doug. So we mm-hmm. were. You started in we, Colorado. Uh, we were, we were, we were, I was born in Colorado, but at the time we were in Arizona. Gotcha. So we okay. went to California to Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. And as you know, and many of your listeners in the IE know what a fabulous center it is for many things. But at the time it was the, um, and still is the, the place um, that we felt was the best option for um, our daughter to get a heart transplant. And we, we were really fortunate to get, you know, really great care there. And her heart surgeon was um, the surgeon that did baby Faye, Dr. Leonard Bailey. So he, he actually pioneered the infant heart transplant. So we couldn't have done any better with selecting where we were going to go to get this really dramatic um, operation done. I, I know so, I probably told you this, but when, when I was up north before i ever moved down here you know we were already telling the stories of what was going on at loma linda so you know to come and move here and then you know be in this community that was you know so you know involved in their very early early stages of it and then of course for you to reap the benefits <laughs> is awesome it was <laughs> it was kind of a full circle circle moment for us because when we lost our son, you know, he passed away in Denver, Colorado. He was transferred from the small town we lived in to, to the children's hospital in Denver. And uh, my husband had said, you know, could we get a heart transplant? Could we do, you know, could we get um, my son a baboon heart? Because at the time, that the baboon heart transplant had just taken place. And the son was born less than a year after baby Faye um, was born. So um, we were really looking for any option and grasping for any bit of hope. And the Children's Hospital in Denver at the time had said, well, that transplant didn't work, you know, the baboon heart transplant, and that there was no option for us. And, you know, and so he passed away. So when you have another child with the same defect, you automatically you're going to have the same outcome but we had followed transplantation for infants over the years just because of our son and and we didn't um, know that the doctor that performed the baboon heart transplant was at Loma Linda we had just found Loma Linda and we looked at their statistics for um, long-term outcomes for their babies and that's what we went on was actually the lot the waiting period there level in the, in the long-term outcome as opposed to what was more convenient for our family because obviously it wasn't convenient to to move to California but when she um she received her new heart when she was 11 days old and we were getting ready to um move back to um Arizona after about almost six months Kathy, let me ask you a couple of things first of all it, yeah is it, is this hereditary have you determined that or no? It, um, what they determined, Doug, for for us in, in our case was it's not something, a gene that I passed down 
or something that my husband passed down. It was the combination of us together. So if I were married to a different person, the likelihood of me having children with heart defects was really low, lowered. Gotcha. And the same thing for him. So it was kind of the, you know, the throw of the dice that we had together. And that's, that's basically what they came up with. So, and then also between your son and your daughter, were there uh, other than transplants, were there other advancements that kind of helped improve her likeliness to have a good outcome? Yeah, there was, there's, um, there's a lot of hope for, um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome patients, depending on how much of a left side they still have intact. If they have um, a left side, but maybe um, smaller, some chambers, some smaller ones, um, they can they can have a surgery called the Norwood procedure. And that was invented by Dr. Bill Norwood, who um, created a, a, a way you really kind of replumb the heart a little bit, you know, like a plumber where you, reroute everything and so you can reroute um different vessels in the heart that will keep it functional um but with that hannah didn't have that option because she had no left side whatsoever so there wasn't anything to to quote unquote fix so she needs a new heart so this had already been determined before she was born and so so the the heart transplant was already planned and yes. and you're looking for a donor and all that. So as soon as she was born, they could do that as quickly as they, you could. As quickly as a, as a donor could be found. And, but what we, we had a little glitch when she was born because she wasn't stable enough to be listed for her heart. Because when you go on the, um, the UNOS recipient list, you have to be sick enough but stable enough. So it's a, it's a balancing act. And she wasn't stable until her fifth day of life. So she was added to the, you know, um, recipient list. They always call it the, the donor list, but she's not the donor. She's the recipient. Recipient. Yeah. So I always say the recipient list um, um, for an organ. And so she, she really technically, she was 11 days old, but she only was on the list for six days. I was going to say that the, the- the window for this was incredibly small, right? Very small. Yeah, I, I mean, I I know this story, and I, you know, I, I know we've talked about it before. I'm, you know, I'm getting the hair on my arms standing up, you know, because it's it's as a parent, you know, you 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 know what you want to happen, and it, for many transplant recipients that are in need. You know, it may be weeks, months, years, you know, that yep. they're trying to sustain life before they can find one. But, you know, as soon as she's born, that there's this window that it has to happen or there's not going to be a good outcome. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's very, it's a very tricky thing. And when you talk about something like, um, oh, I, there's a lot of parents, probably most uh, transplant parents have a form of PTSD because it's so traumatic on your brain um because not only are you hoping someone's going to save your child's life you understand that someone else's child must die you never can forget that absolutely 
So it's something that we struggle with and they, you know, there's been books written on it and the syndrome, I guess, what you would call it is recipient guilt. You know, it's very similar to survivor's guilt, probably in the same category. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's really hard. And over the years, we've gotten better at it because we understand as a family that, that my daughter's heart donor was going to die anyway. And we had nothing to do with the death of a baby. Have you had an opportunity to talk to any um, donor families to get their perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. I've had an opportunity. I was actually, I did a lot of work, uh, volunteer work for One Legacy, and they are the organ procurement organization in the region where you are now. And so I was their um, volunteer of the year one year. Uh, it was a long time ago. I can't remember the year. But um, we would do donor recognition ceremonies. So the, every year when Legacy has those ceremonies, and most li- a lot of times they're, they're at Loma Linda, but they always recognize the donor families from the previous year. And, it's, and when you get into a room with people who've lost their children, you know, children or young adults or adults to um, a tragedy and they, they become an organ donor, 100% of the time, I will tell you, they are very happy with the decision to donate. And no, I have not talked to one donor family member who regrets making that decision. In fact, they not only not regret it, they said they don't know how they could have lived through the death if they hadn't done it because they they understand that their loved ones saved numerous lives and that gives them a lot of comfort as they're grieving. Right. And then some way their child is living on it. Well, I think that, literally. Well, their child's DNA is most definitely living on. So their essence, their soul is not here, but their the essence of their DNA is still on this earth. And that gives our donor family a lot of consolation. And especially as they watched Hannah grow over the years and, sure. and they feel like that's, you know, that their their son and their brother has, you know, made a contribution to humanity. So this isn't necessarily a you know, right? Yeah. So you, you, you know, it's not necessarily anonymous. You so you know the family. We know the family, and that's not always the case. Um, And the reason we know the family, I think we probably would have met them eventually, but Mm -hmm. because, as you said uh, in our conversation earlier, we did have a, um, you know, a CBS, uh, like a mini documentary um, done on Hannah's story. And and because of that, the um, CBS affiliate had decided you know, through the hospitals, they worked out, you know, you know, meeting the donor family and the donor family had agreed to be interviewed. And um, so, and you have to remember, this is several, a few weeks after they just lost their son and they, they agreed. They thought it was so important to put the message out for organ donation and infant organ donation in particular, because no one expects to lose a newborn child in this day and age. It happens more often than you think that it happens. So they they felt like it was important to participate. Uh, certainly they didn't have to. And I told the producers of CBS 
do not pressure them because um, I'm going to start to define But they were, they were, they just jumped in and they were willing to to be interviewed. And, and I don't know that I could have done it, but so Hannah, if yes. I if I may use her name, yeah. Okay. Bless her heart. <laughs> Pun not intended. So yeah. so you know, she's got her new heart. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean, you know, sure. the journey's yeah. not over, obviously. That part of it, it's you know, there's still it's a day to day. Thing, it's, right? it's a long haul and it's for life because yeah. you know you know when you hear about i think the number one question she gets asked is so do you have to take medicine every day and she says for the rest of my life twice a day every day and so basically what that medicine does is um, it suppresses her immune system and because her heart is always foreign it, it's never a part of her even though it's sitting inside of her. So the body yeah. never kind of says, okay, you've been here a while, I accept you. That never happens. It okay. doesn't. Um, but the reason that transplantation is working so well, and, you know, over the decades, is because the immune suppression drugs, you have to suppress the immune system to keep it quiet and keep it under control it's to where it won't attack her heart. But you have to leave her enough of an immune system for her to fight off a cold and a flu. So it's a it's a balancing act on every every cold and flu season. You know, I, I, you know, I was going to say just what we've been through in the last couple of years too with COVID. That must have been a frightening experience and time for you guys. But I will tell you what COVID did for for me personally. Yeah, I actually was a little more um, okay with COVID. Not the death rate of COVID, but actually with the way people started washing their hands and and, and using hand sanitizers and, and protecting themselves and wearing masks, you know, and that, that really helped protect my daughter. And actually, in a perfect world, you should wash your hands that much anyway. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. But I think people had a heightened awareness of, of the transmission of of uh, viruses and germs and things like that, that that actually Hannah benefited from because she felt more safe during COVID than at any other time in her life. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so how's Hannah doing today? I know, you know, I've followed her progress and I mean, you, yeah. you wouldn't know, you know, if anybody didn't know what she was going through, a thriving, you know, through her young years and through her teenage years, cheerleader just i mean all the things that oh, she you know, yeah you're on my facebook you know that yeah yeah um she has uh she had one um pretty bad rejection a few weeks after she was born but after that she um hasn't had another one and the data on that they think they think that is because when she had a really bad one when she was a baby her uh, they call them little soldiers. Her immune system was um, very strong at that time, and they had to knock it down almost to nothing. And the, the immune um, soldiers that came after the, the first battle are now have not been there as long as her heart has. 
So the way they, they tell it like a cartoon, like these these little soldiers are going, well, what's that over there? Well, I don't know. It's been here a while, and it was here before us. So that's how they kind of explained it to me. Uh-huh. That her new immune cells that came in after they had knocked her immune system down to save her life um, are newer than her heart. So they feel like long-term data on her situation is very good. Interesting. And also, Doug, she's in a group of transplanted children. They call them neonates. They're under 30 days old. If you look at the data on kids that are under 30 days old that receive a solid organ transplant, their long-term survival far exceeds the other groups, by far. Oh. So, So uh, say again. She's in a great group, you know, of... Data, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so, so I imagine you know the doctors, the scientists, the researchers, all of that 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 follow all this stuff have learned so much from this group. Definitely have, and it keeps getting better. We we had a. Um, they told us when she was little that the data that we had when she was little was that a transplanted organ would last the average of ten years, but but not in her group. Um, and what they're finding is, you know, when she hit 10 years old, we had a huge party because we thought, oh my goodness, can you believe she's been here 10 years? And I know that sounds maybe a little morbid, but we were just so thrilled that she was here 10 years. And then when she hit 15 years, and when she hit 20 years, and she's now she just turned 25, and that was a big deal. Wow. And she's doing so well. And so she, she had a lot of, uh, you know, the hospital, Children's Hospital, and a couple organizations put out a big press release. Kind of grinning makes it to 25, you know, and uh, and that's really comforting. You know, another thing over the years, and, and you know, and tell me, um, you know, she's been kind of a spokesperson for this yes. in many regards, at advance and that kind of thing. And, and it seems like she embraces that totally. It's not something like, it's a duty that she has to perform because she's in this place. and But she really seems to embrace it. She does embrace it, and she embraces it um, really well now. I would say she embraced it when she was little. But in her teenage years, just like every other teenager, sure. the last thing she wanted to do was get up and talk to people about herself. She didn't want to do it. Yeah. And um, so she did take a break. She took a break, and that was... That was about the time I left the American Heart Association because they really wanted, rightfully so, they really wanted her and I to keep doing the things that we were doing. And she just said she didn't want to do it. Um, and, you know, she wanted to focus on high school stuff and cheerleading. And and, and I respected that. And, yep. and we backed off of, like, a lot of events during those years. But now she's, now she's 25 and, and she's, you know got an associate's degree in communications and she's you know she got that over covid because she she was she was an esthetician but when she couldn't make anyone she went back to school Good. and so she got a she's she's and she's looking for some opportunities out here in north carolina uh, but the thing that is kind of she feels that she were back in California where she has more name recognition. She would probably get more opportunities, but no one really knows her story out here. 
And so she may end up back in California, Doug. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, I think your life can uh, attest to that, that you never yeah. know, you know, what turns it's going to take. So, well, I was kind of surprised, you know, because we were just working a year or so ago on a project here. And, and I, I think I saw a post uh, on LinkedIn or Facebook or something. And he said something about you in, in North Carolina. And I'm like, what? So I immediately <laughs> texted you, North Carolina, what? <laughs> so, so I, how did I that happen? Away from California by trying to check. <laughs> right, my next stop is Scotlander. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so, so what are you doing in North Carolina? Well, I, um, when um, Hannah was already out here, and so was her sister Sarah, and um, um, Sarah got married out here, and, and we hit, and, you know, did her wedding, and we just fell in love. The whole family fell in love with North Carolina. Yeah. I started just looking for, I changed my LinkedIn for job opportunities in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I got an offer from this the company where I currently am. And I just took it um, because, you know, you only live once, right? So um, we knew, uh, you know, we knew we wanted to um, get out of um, California right for right now. And You're not it alone. Was a, it was a very, <laughs> very tough. Because yeah. you know I have a whole family there. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. just thinking about this as you were just talking. Um, you know, maybe we first, for a little bit of context, you know, how many siblings does Hannah have? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has, Hannah's the youngest of seven. And so she's technically the youngest of eight, you know, if you count my son that passed right. away. Absolutely. So Hannah has four wow. two brothers. So we actually do have a... What the kids call it is a wolf pack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wolf pack. And like the, to quote a Game of Thrones uh, saying, you know, um, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. And that's exactly how my kids are. They really take care of each other. Yeah. And Again, I see, that, that, see that over the years. I'm actually the oldest uh, out, out of all my, out of all the, the second of the oldest out of all my siblings. Oh, you I are? know what it's like to have a big family. <laughs> and how many how many siblings do you have? I got four, uh, three younger brothers, three sisters. My third sister has three years on me, which makes her the oldest out of everybody. And then I have a uh, half sister on my dad's side, and then three nieces, three nephews. Wow! Look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes it could be fun. Other times it could be a circus. Yes. Depending on how you look at it. Always yeah, a circus, yeah. Oh, that's great. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing there in North Carolina. Because uh, yeah. just to back up real quick, you know, you were involved in a number of organizations here. I, mean, yeah. that, I think that's why in, when I was in, on radio and I would interview you for these different places where you were and, you know, you would bring your skills and, and I've learned you really are a bit of a mentor to me. I, I don't know if you know that, but, you know, I would always uh, contact Kathy when I, in my work doing fundraisers and that kind of thing, she, she'd always good, give me good advice on strategies and, and kind of how to do things. And that's a bolts of things, everything. So. Yeah, you're so kind. Well, let, let's, let's, let's go through it really briefly. So American <laughs> Heart Association. Yeah. Rightist Foundation. Arthritis. You were on my board, right? Mm-hmm. And our- 
Uh, you know, I was involved. I don't know if I was on the board, but yeah. Okay. Well, what, what what Kathy always has me do wherever she is, is MC <laughs> for something, an event or something. So, and, and I'm glad to do it. Yeah, you always were really super great when it came to events because you always need a good stage presence, someone with the, you know, that can really work the crowd and all of that. And you're always so good at that. Then I worked for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And then uh, more locally, I was the first charity director for Hangar 24 Charities, you know, on the big brewery out there. And I did the air show, and then I got involved with a couple other air shows because of that. And then I worked with you over in Anthesis for uh, a brief period. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, from doing, um, you know, cancer, arthritis, heart-related issues to... Um, to air shows and walks and galas, stuff like that. You know, I've, I've pretty much done a, a ton of things. So what you're doing now is a non is not a nonprofit, right? It is, it is a nonprofit. Oh, it is a nonprofit. Oh, okay, good, good, good. But a lot of those same skills transferred very well, I'm sure. It did transfer as far as the, the skills, but I will say the learning curve of the industry and it's the organization is called the Wilmington Realtors Foundation. And it was founded in 1987. And they basically founded it back in 87. And they had one program called Realtors Helping Realtors. So when a realtor has an issue like a, a sick child or maybe they got cancer or something, the other realtors in the uh, association would pull some fundraising together. You know, this obviously is way before any crowdfunding stuff. And they will pull some funds together to help another realtor who, who couldn't go out and sell homes. So, but that um, has kind of evolved to a new, uh, to an added program based on the, the housing issues that a lot of the realtors experience through their own clients, where they will have um, what they coin as the missing middle. Um, it will be individuals like firefighters, um, nurses, and teachers, our most vital members of the community who don't qualify for some low-income housing assistance, but that also don't have the salary to qualify for half a million dollar or a million dollar home. So they were priced out of the market and they didn't have a whole lot of options. So their options were, you know, in joining the rental market, which, you know, is, is, is crazy all over the, the U.S. And so what Real Wilmington Realtors Foundation decided to do was they would get involved and really put their money where their mouth is and actually build a, um, a project, a development called, um, well, it's named after a realtor locally here that passed away. He was a huge philanthropist in the local community. His name was John Pearson. And so the, the townhome development's called Pearson Point. And basically before I got here, they had already, um, the foundation had purchased land um, really kind of towards the beach. And I, it's not luxury uh, land. And it's, you know, so don't think that, you know, that, that they, you know, that there's beachfront property for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but but it's on our it's on a street called Carolina Beach Road, and um, it's forty eight townhome units, 
and they're two to three bedrooms with a one one car garage, and um, and they're not priced over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So there was a lot of work that the um, the board had to do before I got here. There was, you know, deed restrictions because you have to keep those homes at two hundred fifty. So say someone buys it, they can't flip it, and they have it has to be their primary residence. So there's a lot of restrictions that came along with. Um, building the project to make sure it would stay at, at $250,000. Yeah. And do they have to stay there a, a certain amount of time? Um, they have to, um, I have to look at my notes and, and check the years. I, but uh, they get to, um, when they resell the home, when they do resell it, they get 2% a year that they can, um, you know, equity into the home. And then, um, so it's it's not um, it's not an opportunity where you're going to buy it at two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then five years later you can sell it at one point two. Yeah. You know, yeah. really, really is a, a specific project that actually addresses home ownership and and not throwing your way your money away on rental uh, properties, and then it's just. You know, there's so much advantages to owning your own home. You know, and you know, as far as like, you know, keeping kids in, you know, in, um, in the education system, and you know, so when you own your own home, you know, you can focus on other things that are going to help and benefit your family. Yeah, yeah, it's the cornerstone of the American dream. You know, yes, it, it is. it's you know, without it, uh, the the kind of the the regular american can't really build generational wealth you know and it's it's such a great opportunity yeah well this is walk and roll live so i have to ask are there uh handicapped amenities for the project yes there are we actually um we are going to adhere to all of the ada guidelines for um and you know basically for example like um 36 inch doors Things like that, uh, but in building the in building the development, um, we will just be working with um, handy uh, families or individuals with, with handicaps on a one by one basis. So um, we'll have we we'll see what they need, and we'll have to um, build it to that specifications. And of course, that will be at the buyer's expense, as would anything. So, um, but we will accommodate all of the. Um, the criteria that's needed for, um, you know, bottom floor, master bedroom on bottom floor, things like that. And um, all the things that anyone with us uh, handicaps might need um, for their comfort. Well, that's uh, that's awesome because so many times um, they don't get people involved who have a disability. And, you know, subsequently there's things that are overlooked. We talk about it all, t- all the time on the show. And that's awesome that you have so individual needs, that's the other thing, you know, there, even though there may be people with similar disabilities, no two people are alike, you know, in the severity of their disability or the, the needs of their disability. So having them involved in that process is awesome. You know, we already have a, a waiting list and, and we haven't officially launched our development yet. Um, there's been some, some reports out in the media, but um, we already out of uh, 48 units, the units that we have to sell, we already have a waiting list of 20 individuals. Now, what they have to do, though, is 
They have to qualify with their lender. We don't have anything to do with that. So as long as they're pre-qualified with their lender for the 250000 and then um, what will happen is if we get more than 48 um, individuals or families involved, we're going to have to do a lottery system in order to keep it very fair. And so after the lottery system, then if um, there needs to be uh, some handicap modifications, we'll deal with those on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, it's just it's wonderful that you're open to addressing those those needs. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very excited about it. And um, I was trying to think if there was um, something else um, besides that. I can't think of what it is, but I'm sure. I'm sure it'll come to me when we're off the air. <laughs> right. Or, 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 or somebody will let you know, you know, that, that they have a need that needs to be filled and, and then you guys can address it at that point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I know what it was. So what we're also going to be doing because our, our development, um, the, our main goal is to make sure that it's accessible to without any sort of biases or any sort of things that, you know, would carry over into the industry. And so we're also offering a um, first time or home home buyers. It doesn't have to be a first time home, but um, home ownership class that they actually um, are going to have to take before they are approved for one of the units. Because what we want to do is really educate them on, you know, different areas of owning a home as far as maintenance and taxes and different things that can happen. And so that they go into the development with, um, with just full full disclosure of everything, you know, the pros and cons actually of owning your own home. Yeah, so I've, really- been, uh, I've been uh, dealing with that here lately, you know, plumbing and electrical issues, you know, just over time, you have to take care of those things, but yep, it's a, it's a big part of home ownership. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm glad we got to cover that because it is an important piece. And like you were just saying, Doug, it's not, not every situation is the same, um, but we feel like as, to be as fair with this development as we can possibly be, we want to address every issue because we're going to be, we're looked at, there, there's not a whole lot of um, organizations that are doing this. We're actually partnering with with government entities, city and county, and also other nonprofits. So there's a lot of things that, that are involved in in actually building a project. And um, and so it's just been a learning experience. And so we'll, we'll put together a playbook that we're actually gonna, you know, um, I would say um, for a fee, we're gonna offer our playbook to um, other counties, even other states. Now you're gonna have different issues in other states with with uh, regulations and things, but yeah. the book, Playbook is something that we're in the process of creating so that we can um, show other cities and counties how to replicate our efforts. And um, because we're really the pioneers in this, we're really doing all the groundwork. And I know for a fact in my hometown of Durango, Colorado, you know, the former mayor there said, please keep me posted on how this is going, because this is something that our town really needs as well. And I think that there's a lot of um, towns in across this nation that, that need um, certain developments like this. The missing Absolutely. middle, it's, it's uh, crazy, you know, that if there's such a need for it, you don't think about it, but there really is. You know, I the more I, the longer I'm here, 
and the more things I get to do with this development, the more excited I get. Um, you know, as coming from just my own my own background, you know, single mom, um, she had the advantage of uh, right after um, she and my dad got divorced, then my mom was able to purchase a home in Colorado, but it was through, you know, back in the late 60s, remember when women couldn't have their own bank accounts? Yeah, yeah. It was right after the Fair Housing Act was um, passed. And so she was able to take advantage of the Fair Housing Act as a single woman and, and buy us our home. And it was the home that we all, my brothers and I lived with my mom until I got married and until my brother went to the military and then my young. So we were there the whole time in a nice little neighborhood. We had the same neighborhood kids that we grew up with. And so I understand firsthand how important that was for me. And I didn't realize it until I actually about how how privileged I was mm-hmm. to do that. So. Well, very good. Well, great mm-hmm. catching up. Thank you for you know taking time out of your day because I know you're busy these days. Uh, so we appreciate you catching up and coming on and and joining us here on Walk and Roll Live. Yeah. Well, uh, are we live? Are we live now? Yeah, we are. Live? Okay. <laughs> it was for later so that's awesome that's great Doug. and then you know one last thing if if you have any advice you know through all of the ups and downs and curves and everything you've been through uh do you have any advice for our listeners who may be going through similar struggles well um well that's a loaded question because (laughs) advice on heart disease or what or home ownership or what Here's, here's my advice. And I don't mean it to be religious advice, but it's advice that I heard recently that kind of has given me a lot of comfort. And basically, it was a pastor who had said, um, you know, if you believe there's a creator and there's a higher power or whatever you call him, God, that, that this creator um, has the ability to see time and space, so he already knows the outcome of any situation. And I really did believe that with my daughter as well when she was getting her heart. I already knew God, already knew what was going to happen with her, and it, and it took a load off of me. So when people, and it's very simple, you know, people say, well, put your trust in God and, and unburden your burdens. But I think when you put it in the context of God, um, he doesn't have space or time. He he's, knows things way in advance than we'll ever know them. So just to kind of trust in that and that he has the best thing in store for you and um, and this trust in that. So I didn't want to get religious per <laughs> se, but I just wanted to get that message. No matter what it is, it could be health issues, it could be financial issues like home ownership or it could be other things that you're facing, is that he already knows what you're going through. And he already knows what your outcome's going to be. And, and you should trust that just unload that burden off of yourself. Right? Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on Walk and Roll Live. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. 
hold my hand? <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Where hinges creak in doorless chambers, where strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Let me tell you, Doug, we've been a team for over a year now, and I've and out of all the stories I've heard, this was one of the most heartwarming and inspiring stories I've heard. It gave me a new perspective on the heart itself, and it taught me that a bless a curse can be transferred to a blessing, no matter what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I know when I first heard her story, I mean, to have that kind of a rare heart condition with one child, you know, is, is incredible enough. And then to have it with a second child, but in that period between the two to have so many medical advancements that you could save that child. I mean, it's like, if there's ever a story for not giving up, that's, that's gotta be one, right? Right. Yeah. So thank you once again for to Kathy for coming on and joining us on Walk and Roll Live. Next week, I have no idea. Do you got any ideas? Uh, I mean, I have a list of people that I'm going to reach out to, but uh, you, do you know anybody? Do you know anybody listening? Yeah. If you want to send us an email, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll reach out to them, see if we can get them on. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll, I'll find somebody. We'll do something next week um, here on Walk and Roll Live from the Aguiar Professional Studio. Hey, um, also, I've, I've kind of posted this around to some of our social media. We've uh, reached uh, and gone beyond our 1,000 downloads. So we appreciate that. Uh, uh, the people that that uh, distribute our podcast, they have little badges, you know, little you know, places, um what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Milestones that you reach, Milestone. you know, and then they have a little badge for it. So I've, I've posted that everywhere, uh, but wanted to mention it here and thank everybody for, you know, for listening. First of all, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that so much. And then liking and sharing. And, you know, I, I have conversations uh, from time to time with my friends and I know they listen because they, they'll cite something that we've said in, in our, in our podcast, you know, somebody uh, I was talking to yesterday said, you know, I agree with your idea about putting some of the parking places, the handicapped parking places in the middle of the parking lot. And I'm like, okay, all right, you're listed. <laughs> I've had a lot of good feedback about the show also, and it's mostly yeah. from the uh, gal, the gals, and I'm not going to really mention who, but yeah, it's mostly from the gals. They're, they shake their heads and they smile. Oh, that Eric, man. <laughs> That's me, too. I shake my head and I say, oh, that Eric. <laughs> hey, you know the other thing, too? I want to thank uh, Safety Powers, again, our guests from last week, and they were on a month or so ago as well. They do a remarkable job of putting the word out through their social media. They they share ours. You know, I put something out. They'll share that, but they create their own, and the numbers reflect it. I think that's a big reason why we went over a 1,000 downloads. So uh, thank you once again to Safety Powers, our friends over there. Check them out at safetypowers.org. And uh, you can find us anywhere, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, everywhere. So with that being said, Eric, take us out there with your this Halloween is, ghoulishness. Before we get going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get go. going, my friend. You go. You go. 
on your night of Halloween, I want everybody, I want, in, in light of having a good time, don't forget to carry a flashlight, a glow stick, traveling groups, go to only houses that you're familiar with or houses that have their lights on, have parents uh, check the candy before eating, and most importantly, have a very spooky Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.